Hello, hi, I'm Zanzi, and welcome back to the Health Boom Zanzi podcast, proudly brought to you by Health Boom Zanzi. I'm your host, Joe, and I'm so excited to walk this health and wellness journey with you. Remember, nothing is supplements. For this discussion, we chat to Wellington Mukwena, a dietitian who has been in private practice for the last 16 years. We delve into all things nutrition, specifically the nutritional needs for children with diabetes. Mr. Mukwena focuses on the identifying factors of diabetic children, the importance of a balanced diet, and practicing good communication regarding food with your children. Mr. Mukwena, how are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining the platform, being willing to talk about a very important topic. But before we get into it, Mr. McQuena, can you maybe just give us a brief background on what it is that you do on a daily basis and maybe just your profession as well? The name is Wellington Mukwena, dietitian, a graduate of the University of the Western Cape. I've been in private practice now for 16 years. Just so that people understand what we do as dietitians. We are those professionals who are able to look at one's medical condition and then be able to advise them which type of foods to eat so mm-hmm. that it implements whatever medication they are on. And to tell you the honest truth, there are some conditions which might not actually even need any any medication. We'll find that they are purely related to what one eats. So we are able to help a person to adjust that. Because, you know, when one works on a diet, you remove certain food items which were providing certain nutrients, it's also important that I am able to recommend other food items which will be able to still give the person, you know, the nutrients which they are missing from whatever food items we would have told them not to eat. So we, we try to be as comprehensive as possible. But also just to be a little bit more detailed. As dietitians, our interest is not only in terms of those who are sick. In fact, the majority of us, and this is where the medical profession is going, prevention is better than cure. Also advising those who are not sick to eat well. That's what we do as dietitians on a day-to-day basis. Looking at the diabetic child, and I know you said you look at a medical condition and you advise accordingly on what their nutritional intake should be. Before we get to that, what are the identifying factors for children that has diabetes? There are very common factors which one could be looking at or symptoms if one might call them that. The child would complain of thirst. They are forever thirsty. Sometimes they might not even complain of thirst. As a parent, you're looking at them, you can tell that this might be uh, my child is actually drinking a lot of water. But this would also be followed by, you know, frequency of urination. They pass urine quite a lot. Basically, these two go hand in hand. The more water they drink, the more urine they pass. So the more urine they pass, because they are losing more water, so the more they want to take in more water. Also, because diabetes by its nature means that the nutrient, that which is valuable, is good in food, is not reaching the body cells. Some of them, in fact, most of them, we call it type 1 diabetes or insulin-dependent diabetes, most of them would have also a weight loss. You will see that the child is losing 
a significant amount of weight. So these are the three main signs which your parents can be looking at. And then there will be some which might be a little bit more detailed. You might find that there's also a change in the breath of the child. It smells like sourish, it's fruity, but you know, you might not really be trained to pick that up. But these three are easy to pick up. You can tell when your child is losing weight or has lost weight and you yeah. also be able to tell whether they are taking more liquids, especially water, and also going to the bathroom much more frequently. Then at the back of one's mind would be, maybe let me take them to the doctor to see what's happening so that they can be able to pull uh, that one out. Mr. McQuina, once diagnosing this condition, they've went for the medical diagnosis and it's confirmed, you know, your child has type 1 diabetes. How does the nutritional needs differ? What does the parent or the caregiver now have to do in terms of food intake, nutrition intake? Let me put it this way. We always advise our clients to say that the call at all times is to ensure that a balance of all nutrients is, is met. Regardless of one's economic level, we need yeah. number one, to ensure that the you know, carbohydrates are there because even though they are the ones which provide the glucose which the body is not able to process properly, the child still needs that glucose for them to be able to get energy. We need to have a proper balance of vegetables and fruits because apart from them providing energy, they also provide a whole lot of vitamins and minerals which are able to help. They, you know, For example, they would strengthen the child's immune system. They help with cognitive performance, you know, in terms of them being able to understand things, being able to register things in a proper manner. So one of the key things that we always advocate for is that regardless of the condition which the child might be having, the goal must always be to ensure that we have got a proper balance of all the various categories of foods that the child will, will need. We need to make sure that the food still continues to have, have protein. So that is the first thing that we need to bear in mind. We do not necessarily promote one food item above uh, the other one. But obviously, because their bodies are not absorbing glucose properly, then this also needs to be one of the areas that we focus on. So we ensure that whatever diet we put them on is able to deliver the right amount of glucose to their bodies and their cells are able to absorb that glucose. But generally speaking, we discourage a situation where we want to focus on a specific food item or a specific nutrient. So answering now your question properly to say how does it change their nutritional needs? Their nutritional needs will basically change in this manner. The food items that they eat do not necessarily all go into the body system where it's going to be utilized. So we must always be on the lookout to ensure that they are able, you know, whatever diet we put them on, is able to meet all their nutritional requirements. They do not necessarily excessively go up. It's just a question of ensuring that whatever they eat, the body is able to absorb. Mr. McQueen, what I'm hearing is really just, it's all about balance. You cannot yes. give too much of one food group, but you need to ensure that there's an intake from the different types of food groups. And I think to ensure this, would you say that meal planning or having a specific diet set up is very important? Yes, it is very important. This is what we do. In fact, as dietitians, we, because the food 
based dietary guidelines. We have actually shifted from the food groups. It's just that we find that maybe people still understand better when we talk about food groups because what we found happening is that the food groups would lump everything, you know, into just one thing. And you find that there are certain items which are excluded from those groups. But generally speaking, we've got what we call the food-based dietary guidelines, which are the things that we encourage our people to follow. A set meal plan becomes very important. But maybe let me also hasten to say this. It must not be rigid. You know, we are not looking at rigidity. We are simply saying it is able to guide you in terms of saying, I must not leave out this, I must not leave out that. But not from a point of rigidity to say, I have missed this, then everything is blocked off the cracks or anything like that. No, 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 no. It doesn't work like that. Number one, the child still needs to be taking plenty of water. Also bearing in mind the fact that they are losing plenty of water, as highlighted earlier. They need to still be eating the carbohydrates, especially the unrefined carbohydrates. When it's bread, it's whole wheat bread. The high fiber cereals, not the highly refined ones like your rice krispies, like your cornflakes and all those. So these are generally those which we need to avoid. It's also important for them not to exclude the non-diabetic children from this and to say, oh, he's only talking about the diabetic one, the ones who must eat the whole wheat and so forth. Because even apart from diabetes, like you said, that generally we are looking at good health. We have got a problem in our nation of childhood obesity. Many of the children are picking up huge amounts of weight. So it's important for them to eat these high-fiber cereals, highly unrefined food items, you know, like your samps, you know, the whole wheat breads and so forth. But they'll also eat plenty of fruits and plenty of vegetables. And what we always encourage, especially with the fruits and vegetables, is that they must not be too ripe. And those which can be eaten with the skins on, let them be eaten with the skins on. That way they are able to get a whole lot more fiber from those. There's one category of food items which as our people we are not eating that much we don't know for, for some reasons the consumption thereof has declined. The legumes, the beans, all those, yes. And they are very good in helping to control blood glucose and they give a lot of fiber and they are good sources of iron and they also have got protein in them. So we encourage consumption of this. They can make the soups. Those who are able to use the lentils and the split peas and so forth in their cooking, let's include those. Whether it's cooking mint meat also enlarges or it, it ensures that the mint meat is able to stretch and accommodate you know, more people than if it's just the mint meat on it. Uh, yes. Also, we must never exclude those. And the other thing, which is not necessarily diet related, is also to ensure that our children remain active. Let us discourage that couch potato kind of activity with our children forever on the phones and TV, the laptop. Encourage them to still go out and play. Mr. McQuena, there's so much more I want to get into that you mentioned. You mentioned legumes. Do you think that sometimes we do not consume certain food items because... We do not know about it. So education and maybe there's also a cultural aspect to it and maybe there can be a financial aspect to it. If you specifically talk about legumes, maybe majority do not eat that or know that that is really good to consume and contains all this nutrients and fiber. Do you think it's because of a lack of education? It's a combination of factors. Yes, lack of education in some instances, but I don't really think lack of education is that much. What I picked up over the years, and again now, I'm not going to be speaking for the majority of our population. I will just speak in the context of 
the clients that I have been seeing, what one would pick up, especially from our African people, is that most of those food items are food items which they ate quite a lot because of the economic circumstances. As they go up and the economic circumstances begin to change, they feel that I've been deprived of certain things for too long. And if I continue to eat these things, they remind me of where I come from, then associating them sometimes with poverty and all that for some people. And some will be saying, I ate these things too much, so I don't think I want them. This was the only thing close to meat that we're able to get. So we ate it way too much. So now I've reached a saturation point when it comes to that. But I think if we are able to go back and intensify in terms of our education to say it might have been like that, but it still doesn't take away from the fact that they are beneficial nonetheless, you know, and it's still important for one to still incorporate them or find ways to incorporate them somehow into one's diet. That I've eaten them a whole lot, I, I understand that, but I can still try to have them now and again, even though I might not have them as much as I used to have them. I think previously, maybe the other thing would have been the presentation method for this. So we can present them in a better way than we used to in the, in the past. Maybe that would make them a little bit more appealing. I'm glad you brought the general child into this conversation because, you know, nutrition is just core to growth and development of the child. The education around snacking and sort of sugary sweets. What is your take on that very briefly? And how do we convey this to caregivers of diabetic children, but also just of caregivers of a general child? Earlier, I highlighted that even when we are following a set kind of diet, we are not talking about being rigid. So we must understand first and foremost to say that we are dealing with children. Let's not treat them like we are dealing with adults. Look, some new way we need to keep them. And the other thing which I've noticed, Joanne, which parents do not really realize, and we not actually, if children are being set down and things are explained to them and they are not being treated like they are just children without brains, without understanding and so forth, they will surprise you. They will understand and be much more compliant than they would if a person is not sitting them down. So if they are being set up and explained to say, my son, my daughter, we are not necessarily saying these things you cannot have. They are not necessarily a necessity for the, for the body. They are treats, so to say. But I am for saying the kids must have treats, but within reasonable limits. I always advise my clients, don't buy the snacks and the treats as part of the grocery. They must never appear on the grocery list for the family. Okay. So parents must understand this. They must never form part of the grocery list. So that way, they are only consumed as and when they are needed. And it becomes a conscious decision to say, now we are going to have this. So we are only to go there and then we buy this and then we have that. When it's finished, then there isn't anything else that is there. So it also helps the child be on the straight and narrow. But it helps the parents as well because these things are not only consumed by the children, by the way. So if we are to win this, then we must understand that they must not form part of the closure. Whatever closure it is, this must not be on them. But also, let us not be too rigid and you find that we do not allow them to be children and mm. uh, some of these within reasonable limits. But also, one other thing which I can say, parents will never go wrong with giving fruits and vegetables as snacks. Let us normalize having fruits, having vegetables as part of our snacks. And then the other ones will really be treats. And then where possible, nuts may also be in, in incorporated. Child is exposed to too much salt and or too much fat what I can advise our parents to do with their children. 
talk to them, explain to them what is going on. And then, you know, we allow them now and again to have those trips. Thank you for joining this week's episode of the Health for Mzanzi podcast. For more on our nutrition chat, check out healthformzanzi.co.za. Now remember, if you are in a medical jam or just curious about some health and wellness trends, you can send an email to hello at healthformzanzi.co.za or send a message to 076-132-0454. Yeah, we're on Blue Tech. There you have it, girls and guys. As explained in the discussion, consuming good nutrition is not only reserved to people with health conditions. It is a lifestyle that can and should be followed by all. Remember, nutrition is core to a child's development and growth. Until next time, keep well, stay healthy, signing out, your girl Joe.